everyone, and welcome to the third edition of our podcast series, Decarbonisation in Conversation With. My name is Caroline Saul, and I'm a partner here at Osborne Clark, leading our Financing the Transition to Net Zero Decarbonisation team. I'm really delighted to be joined by Simon Thompson, Chief Executive of the Chartered Banker Institute. We've got a really interesting chat lined up for you, discussing how integral decisions that the finance community make are in us reaching net zero. Simon, thank you for joining us today. Please could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Chartered Banker Institute before we get started? Uh, hi, Caroline. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'm Simon Thompson. My day job is running the Chartered Banker Institute, which is the UK's professional body for bankers. We have some 30,000 members and in fact, we work in over 100 countries uh, worldwide now. Um, I'm also the author of Principles and Practice of Green and Sustainable Finance, uh, which is the world's first uh, textbook for practitioners uh, in that in in that area, banking practitioners. And I chair something called the Green Finance Education Charter on behalf of the UK government, which I hope we'll get on to talk about later. Thanks, Simon. So on that topic of green finance, why is that a subject that's so important to the Institute? Well, I think this is a subject that's critically important to, to all of us, uh, personally, professionally, individually and collectively, isn't it? I mean, this week's IPCC report makes clear that dramatic and sustained efforts are, are needed to reduce emissions this decade. And in fact, for decades to come, if we're to keep global warming at one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels. And even at this level of warming, it comes with substantial physical risks to biodiversity, to ecosystems, you know, huge risks to humanity, frankly. Um, to even get close to some of the optimistic lowest emission scenarios that the IPCC present, we have to align finance with pathways to net zero. We need That means we need banks and others to support the transition of existing business models, and that's covering every economic activity, every economic entity, uh, and help them move to sustainable low carbon models. Um, you know, the IPCC are all talking about sucking large quantities of carbon dioxide out of the air, so negative emissions. Um, you know, so technologies that exist, but these need to be rapidly scaled up alongside all the other clean and green technologies and infrastructure we need. And that needs the collective efforts of the finance sector. So that's why Article 2.1 of the Paris Agreement singles out the critical role of finance. It's why Mark Carney calls for every financial decision to include climate change. So why is it important to us as a banking institute? Well, it's because in simple terms, green finance is the future of finance and the future for our 30,000 members worldwide. No, to to totally agree and, and, and totally understand that. I mean, you know, you've said about the importance of green finance and green finance. And so obviously that is not a surprise that it's a key pillar in the UK presidency's uh, COP26 themes. So with COP26 on the horizon, what do you hope to see come out of the meeting in Glasgow? Uh, I think like most, it's a sense of urgency on climate action above all. You know, time is running out now if we're going to limit global warming to below two degrees, let alone one and a half degrees, um, as we've seen from the IPCC. Um, I think the policymakers meeting in Glasgow can't be under any illusions. The science is, is clear. It's been agreed now by all 195 IPCC members. So dramatic and sustained action is required from all of us to reduce emissions this decade and to continue reducing them. That needs leadership. It needs tone from the top. Um, and green finance, I mean, finance as a whole, aligning finance with the green and sustainable agenda has a major role to, to, to play in all of this. So I think in terms of green finance at COP26, there are three things in particular I'd like to see. 
you know, firstly, I'd like to see many more financial institutions go beyond headline commitments to net zero by mid-century. And, you know, like the members of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS, set some detailed, meaningful science-based targets for the decarbonisation of lending and investment portfolios, frankly, so we can make significant progress well before mid-century. I think secondly, I'd like to see a, a greater push for convergence and harmonisation in terms of policy, regulation, standards, taxonomies and so on to support and maintain the integrity of, of green and sustainable finance. And then thirdly, and this is particularly important to, to me in my work, I'd like to see recognition that green finance isn't just about reallocating financial capital. I, I think we also need to rebuild our human capital. We need to reskill and upskill large numbers of finance professionals all around the world to support the transition of financial services and the global transition to a sustainable low carbon world overall. So I think we need to be as collectively ambitious on building the, cap the capacity and the capability of finance and professional services as we are in setting decarbonisation targets. Otherwise, we're not going to meet those targets. Completely agreed on that. You've talked about the dramatic action that needs to take place. You've talked about the sort of con consolidation of the, the regulation that, that's coming through. I mean, do you see in sort of what timescale the sort of uh, the, the regional and global al um, alignment of, of, of standards occurring? So I'm, I'm thoughtful about this. I mean, we're never, I think, going to see a single regulatory approach. But then we, you know, we don't in other areas of banking and finance. When I mean, we have different financial reporting standards in the US from here in the UK and Europe, um, and you know, dare I say it, I'm speaking with a lawyer, we have different legal approaches and systems in different parts of the world, and even between England and, and Scotland. You know, where I am uh, today and where COP26 is. I think what we will see and already seeing emerge, though, is is harmonisation and convergence of regulatory approaches. And I'm optimistic about the direction of travel, if not necessarily the speed. So I think if I could give you two, maybe two or three examples, perhaps the most obvious is around disclosure, where you know, we have the TCFD becoming the de facto approach. I'm proud we're very much leading the way in term, in the UK in terms of mandating TCFD aligned disclosures from 2020 onwards. But, you know, this is being followed elsewhere, particularly in the EU. The US have now indicated their light to follow in this direction next year as, as well. Uh, I think secondly, you know, we, we are seeing um, enhanced cooperation uh, in the banking sector through the Network for Greening the Financial System in particular, which now has, I think, more than 80 central banks and financial regulators as part of it. And so we will see increasing harmonisation approaches to micro and macro prudential regulation and supervision, in particular, more consistent approaches to climate risk stress testing and scenario analysis. Uh, I think earlier in the year, I think it was April, the network for Greening the Financial System published some proposals for um, harmonising central bank approaches to green asset purchases and climate related lending schemes. Um, and maybe, although I know it's a very political area, perhaps I think we could see some convergence of thought, if not action, around capital requirements and green supporting factors, you know, maybe adopting a similar approach to the European Banking um, Authority and the green assets ratio that they're bringing in. And then thirdly, in, uh, you know, in terms of, sort of taxonomies, we are seeing significant moves to standardise you know, non-financial sustainability reporting now through the IFRS Foundation's new or proposed new sustainability standards board. Um, but I mean, does this mean that we'll have a single set of disclosure requirements and standards? I, I don't think we will. I mean, not least because the IFRS are at the start of their journey. 
And just as with the IFRS's financial reporting standards, are the US and China going to adopt these? Well, you know, maybe not. But will regulation and reporting converge? Yes, it will. And certainly at the regional level, but it will take a lot longer than we'd like. And I think there will always be some unhelpful duplication and overlap along the way. But that does seem to be the way of the world, I'm afraid. It is, and as long as the direction of travel is the right one, then I guess that's all we can we can hope for. Um, yeah, it so is, we, but, but I mean, but then, then you know, it's the direction. I mean, this is though when you look at the IPCC, um, you know, yes, we can be moving in the right direction, but if we move too slowly, then the world changes too quickly for us. So, so we, we you know, we do need to accelerate all these things, and and I do one, I do worry that sometimes the you know the perfect is the enemy of the good. I, and I, I completely agree with that as well. That actually hamper, hampering hampering action, or as you say, to, to take the perfect path, whereas actually the action uh, taking the action in the first place is, is what's important. Um, so, sort of delving down into the, the detail, then. I mean, the Green Finance Education Charter asks financial services professional bodies to commit to engaging with members on issues related to climate change, and we've recently seen the partnership between the Chartered Banker Institute and HSBC to knowledge, develop knowledge and expertise of the banks commercial team. Um, are, are you seeing this sort of action across the wider industry? Yes, very much so. And I think there's been a been a tipping point probably over the past sort of 12 months, certainly, certainly in the UK, um, in other parts of the world, such as uh, Singapore and, uh, and China, um, other parts of the world uh, probably need to, to catch up. I mean, we, we've certainly seen uh, the finance sector, the banking sector in our case, you know, really investing much more in upskilling and and reskilling. I mean, we've seen huge interest in our own qualifications, such as the certificate in green and sustainable finance, which you know, we have students now in more than forty countries taking it, and it's it's now the biggest selling qualification on our website by by quite some way. Um, but you know, we do need to be much more ambitious in terms of investment in skills if we're to achieve our net zero ambitions. And and, and you know, that's true for most institutions and the finance sector overall, and and more broadly uh, throughout economies uh, I think um, you know we do need to do a lot more to build the capacity build the capability of green finance in the UK and, and worldwide and and that was the aim behind the, the green finance education charter you know you, you mentioned that was been launched well, what is it in June 2020 so yep about uh, 14 months ago you know the charters are a genuine world first and we hope it will be a model for other countries you know, bring try we try to bring together twelve of the UK's professions, not the lawyers, I'm afraid, but but many other professions, in a commitment to incorporate green and sustainable finance principles into our core education and training programs. So, not that this is an add-on that you do, no, no. but that future generations of bankers, accountants, investment managers, insurers, and so on, you know, as they qualify as chartered bankers, they will also be green and sustainable bankers. No, that, that 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 sounds great. I mean, just you know, setting out that that roadmap as well to make sure that it's a, a, a long long approach rather than just sort of try, trying to upskill everyone quickly. But we've talked about again the dramatic action that needs to be taken, the amount of action that needs to be taken in the, the sort of very short time period and relatively in which it needs to be taken. So how can we make sure that nobody's cutting corners? How can we make sure that that there's no greenwashing going on? That there's no um, announcements with regards to uh, sustainability or knowledge of sustainability without actually being able to back that up? Yep, I mean you're absolutely right to uh, uh, identify the the risks from from, from greenwashing, um, which kind of given all the the growth we've had in sustainable finance, particularly on the retail retail investment side, is a you know I know is very much a priority for regulators here in the UK and Europe in in the US at the moment. Um, 
I think was it just last month, the FCA wrote to fund managers to set out guidance for how fund managers should should use terms such as sustainable and ESG, you know, because they've been concerned by growing examples of, of poor practice. Um, but the regulator can only go so far. I mean, I I think one of the best defences we have against greenwashing is building the knowledge and skills of our professions and professionals. I mean, you know, I mean of course, there's, there will always be examples of, uh, of deliberate greenwashing, which we have to uncover and root out. But the majority, I'm convinced, is, is inadvertent greenwashing because accountants, advisors, bankers, consultants, investment managers and lawyers simply don't have the knowledge they need to assess climate risks and sustainability factors, they don't know what are the right questions to ask or even when they should be asking a question. So again, it kind of comes back to building the knowledge and, and, and skills base of the professions. And, you know, it doesn't mean we all need to be sustainability experts. In fact, we don't all need to be, you know, uh, deep experts in climate science and sustainability. What we need, I think, um, to put into practice, you know, Mark Carney's call for every uh, professional financial decision to include climate change is for every finance professional and every professional who supports finance to have a, a, a knowledge of and be able to apply sustainability within the context of of the role the function the organization they work for you know their professional capacity and so on it doesn't mean becoming a a deep expert but it means having a sustainability skill set as well as the professional skill set too and i i do think that is ultimately our best defense against greenwashing so we then apply this to the, the carney test and just make sure we can uh align ourselves and, and, and compare ourselves to others within our particular profession and our standing and our, our sort of general work to make sure that we have a sufficient amount of, of knowledge around sustainability, um, et cetera, in order to go forwards in, in, in a sensible manner. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that, is, that is the key. That is the key, the key to, 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 the, to passing the Carney test, I think. Um, you know, and, and it's not just about doing it because it's necessary to avoid greenwashing and to align uh, finance with the um, the goals of Paris and the sustainable development goals more broadly. Um, I think, you know, from just from a purely personal and professional interest capacity, um, you know, I struggle to see what role a banker or an accountant or maybe even a lawyer will have in, in 10, 15 years time if, then, if, if, if they don't understand sustainability. Um, because, um, you know, this is becoming the mainstream. Um, and it's very, very, and, and it has to become the mainstream. If it doesn't, you know, ultimately we won't have a we won't have a world in which to be lawyers and bankers and accountants and things. So this isn't a choice. This will be part of everyone's careers in the future. Um, it's also a really, really fascinating area, and uh, I think there are very, very few professionals who don't get excited by the idea of, um, you know, aligning their professional skill set as a banker and accountant, a lawyer, with knowledge of sustainability and using it um, to, uh, to to generate you know both financial returns but returns for society as well you know it's what we should be doing as professionals isn't it I completely agreed and that goes back to your earlier point around looking at sort of the, the, the finance the financial gain but also the human the human capital gain or, or cost of, of not taking this action when we should be taking it um so then just looking we've looked at your work on the green finance education charter um alongside that how is the chartered body alliance another initiative you're involved in um supporting ambitious collective climate action 
Yeah, well, for those who don't know, the, the Chartered Body Alliance comprises the Chartered Insurance Institute, the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment, and ourselves, the Chartered Banker Institute. Um, so together, that brings together around about 200,000 professionals covering the broad range of financial services. And we all need to work together if we're going to mainstream green and sustainable finance and, and tackle the, the climate crisis. And, you know, as I mentioned, just as tackling climate change requires ambitious collective action, so does upskilling and reskilling finance professionals, uh, as we touched on earlier, which is why the three of us have come together to develop and share our learning materials, which we do for the Certificate in Green and Sustainable Finance. And, and most recently, we've launched a new joint certificate in climate risk. So for bankers, for investment managers and for insurers that was launched sort of back in June. And uh, you know, it's the first time we've, we've we've done something like that. First time we've developed a, a common joint qualification. Um, and, I, and I think it points the way to the, the future, not just for us, but in a much wider sense, because you know, I'm, I'm an optimist that we can tackle climate change. We, we, we know what needs to be done to reduce emissions. You know, we know how to do it. We've invented pretty much all the technology we need. We just need to scale them up. And we have the private capital required to scale them up. You know, there's more than 100 trillion dollars in savings balances around the world that will finance this. So it's actually fairly simple. You know, banking and finance just needs to do what we're supposed to do best, transform savings into investment. In this case, making sure that's aligned with reducing emissions and developing climate resilient infrastructure. I mean, it sounds really straightforward and at one level it, it is, but it only works if, you know, like the Chartered Body Alliance, we, we stop all reinventing the wheel and we, we start working together in the public interest with a sense of collective ambition, shared ambition, to all play our part in tackling our greatest global challenge, and then we can overcome climate change. I'm, I'm convinced of it. I am, um, yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm very reassured by your conviction, Simon. Um, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your expertise in this area, which we've clearly established is, is key to getting us to net zero. Um, we hope to catch up with you again soon at COP26, if not before. Thank you very Great. much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here too. And yes, see you in Glasgow.